You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I am James Kreppi and he is Aaron Fentress and we are back uh, after a bit of a hiatus. Um, Some of it uh, not quite as deliberate, in part just because of logistics, quite honestly. Uh, (laughs) I was on the road quite a bit. Uh, Aaron's been on the road quite a bit with the Blazers and things, so a little bit longer uh, break between uh, podcasts uh, than we uh, intended, but alas... Here we are here on uh, on this Monday early in April. Aaron hasn't gone anywhere with this team in a while because they're so bad, but that's another topic. Oh, well, I, I, I <laughs> blissfully ignorant for me when it comes to uh, when it comes to the Blazers. Because wait, wait, you're not reading my Blazers coverage of these 30 point blowouts. I, wow. I'm reading as much wow. of your Blazers coverage of 30 point <laughs> blowouts as you are reading on uh, Oregon Diamond Sports in the spring, um, which, uh, you know, given given what our uh, primary roles are and responsibilities are, I can understand why both of us find ourselves in that, uh, in that conundrum. But alas, here <laughs> we are. Fair enough. Fair so, enough. As I say, uh, we will uh, put a bow on uh, the basketball season that was. Yes, it's been obviously a couple of weeks since the season has ended, but because the final fours are going on, Women's National Championships last night, Men's National Championship will be tonight. Uh, we'll Let's go know, kind of put a bow on it in that way and uh, and kind of look back a little bit briefly on the Oregon men's women's basketball seasons and uh, the start of the off seasons that will be and has been already in some cases. Uh, and then we'll obviously transition to football where spring practice is uh, five practices in to the 15 Ooh. here in the spring and where things stand in that regard. So starting with uh, on the women's side, because like I say, since the women's championship was last night, uh, so now the, the entirety of the women's season is over, not just uh, the Oregon women's season or Oregon State for that matter, or the Pac-12 for that matter. What to make of uh, this women's basketball season for the Ducks, Aaron, where uh, in terms of the offseason, since the season wrapped up in the first round of the NCAA tournament against Belmont in uh, in Knoxville there in overtime, double overtime. Four transfers already, and uh, Niara Sopley going to uh, the WNBA. We'll get to what they need to do to potentially get back. But as you mentioned there, I think that's the reaction that a lot of fans have by way of, oh, well, there's four transfers, and what the heck, and there's so many from last year as well. I think there needs to be a bit of an adjustment for, and I'm not even talking inside the program here. I'm talking outside. I think we all, we all, the entire outside world who observes college athletics has to start to get real comfortable with the idea that the female college athlete wants to play just as much as the male college athlete. Was that ever ever disputed? Well, apparently, because the sky is falling every time a female college athlete goes in the transfer portal. Apparently, it is. Beyond the program itself? Or, I mean, just globally in terms of... Both. Really? Both. 
you know, they're, it's like, oh, well, the sky is falling. What's wrong? The, the, the place stinks. Fire the coach if somebody goes in the portal and goes, oh, gotcha. There's gotcha. 900 players in the portal. Isn't that crazy? There's going to be over a thousand probably. And there was a thousand last year. So you just go, this is the new world. You can like hate it. it all you want. You can shake your fist at the sky all you want, but Get this is my the way lawn. it's going to be. <laughs> It's just the way it is. Yeah, it is it so is. so I don't think we have to get paternalistic about it, whether we're talking about in men's or women's basketball or football or baseball or softball or any other sport. I don't think you get paternalistic about it. I don't think you get the, well, I my day. Don't be the gold <laughs> guy on your lawn. You're not 18 to 23. You're not, you're, you don't have the eligibility clock acting against you. You're not operating in a world of NIL. You don't have all the various other pressures that these athletes have. And on top of it, for the athletes who are already on campus, you know, other than the freshmen just this past year, but everybody else, the other 85, 90% of college athletes, they had to deal with the pandemic for disrupting and, and either killing off the 2020 tournaments in basketball or, or entire postseasons for spring sports and messing up the 21, 22 seasons. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be in their shoes. I'm not going to tell you, well, here's what I would have done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I would have done. doesn't matter what Aaron would have done. doesn't matter what anybody would have done. Hey, it's their lives. It's their choices. So, if you, again, if you don't like it, well, you know, learn to embrace it is all I can tell you. If you're a college sports fan, because that's just the way it's going to be. I don't think it becomes any more or less indicative of something of any program if three or four players on any basketball team transfer, because that's just what the national average is right now. Yeah. The average team. The average team. Is losing three players. But that doesn't make it right or good for the sport. But there's no changing it. Well, there's no going back. Of course. Well, I mean, we'll see. Freedom, it it happened because of lawsuits. It ain't going back. It ain't going back. And by the way, it was that way in 20 some odd other sports before the one time transfer rule. The one time transfer rule kicked in for the five sports that didn't have it that had, you know, football and men's, women's basketball, um, et cetera, hockey and, and one other. They brought that in. And it was because they had pro leagues affiliated with it. And there was, it was under the guise of academics and things historically, but ultimately speaking, yeah. things were being treated unequally, even within college sports before. And I don't think we, Oregon fans need a reminder on this because of the softball program a couple of years ago and players going in the portal when the portal first started, but they didn't need the portal to do it, by the way. The one-time transfer applied in softball and plenty of other sports before this past offseason. A bunch of softball players went to Texas, right? Yeah, that was uh, and other places, but yes, yeah. yes, and that goes back again three plus years ago. So now you're seeing it in a different sport because the rule changed, right? And now it's oh, because three or four players go from any one team. By the way, this isn't just an Oregon thing. That's why I say there's like going to be over a thousand players in the portal in women's college basketball. But it's ridiculous. Well, you say it's ridiculous. I say it's freedom of movement. And I'm allowed, I personally am totally comfortable living in a world where people are allowed to make decisions that they feel are in their best interest that may prove not to be because that's part of being an adult. You think you're doing what is in your best interest. I think it's best for me to go change places. I want to play more. Turns out there isn't a market for your skills and services anymore. Well, whose fault is that other than you? You made a choice, but are all okay. But what percentage of people are transferring? strictly for more playing time aren't there starters transferring sure okay so that's lots not playing places. time then lots that's of places. not playing time then that's something but of else. the players so, of the players who left oregon only one of them is a full-time starter of the four of the four who left yeah if you if you're not a starter 
and there's no there's no chance you're probably it was not likelihood you're going to be a starter, then it totally absolutely makes sense that you're going to move. My only thing is when you see starters bailing, why are they bailing? And, it, and, it, and if you're and if you're young and you're in line to start down well, the road, all but you college, get impatient. Well, I mean, young, okay, young within the construct of the four years, you know, what I'm talking about. Then, then that's that can be kind of weird as well. But so I don't disagree with you. I just think that ultimately, it's I don't think it's at all good for the sport. But like you said, it's irrelevant because it's here. So let's make the most of it, right? Yeah. And here's the thing: we were already in this place on the men's side. We were already here. Yeah, I know. Before the transfer rule, we were already here. People there were already guys who transferred and were already playing for three and four schools in their careers. Yeah. So again, I'm not going to clutch pearls. I'm not going to get holier than oh, thou. I don't care I'm not at all say about how I would have done it. Yeah, I don't it, care about it. You know, to me, it's just hey. Ultimately, there's freedom of movement. If you don't like freedom of movement, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You can go like professional sports where you know they're locked in for a contract until an off season, and then as soon as you know the, the, the confetti is still falling at the NBA finals, and they're already <laughs> talking about free agency. So you can like that. You can go to the professional model. You can do that. You know, you don't even get the, you don't even get to appreciate a champion in professional sports. The next day, it's only about free agency in the draft. Yep. So you can go do that. You know, that's, that's an avenue for you. So if you happen to, you know, I, I can't stand it. It's why I, I totally tune out certain professional sports because the whole sport, we're not about champions, but not about success and winning. We're about the next contract for somebody else who I'm never going to meet and I'm never going to get their money. So I could care less, but that's me. So again, for fans, (laughs) I understand that. There is the angst and the anxiety of, oh, you know, the team's losing this many players. Well, for one, Oregon's bringing in like four of the top 25 players, which they did. Again, you can say, well, they did that two years ago and now they just lost four of the five. Right. Well, that's part of it. You know, it comes about, it ultimately boils down to talent identification and procurement, but also personality identification. And look, execution on the athlete's part. That's not pointing fingers. That's anywhere. This is, this is. Totally a global perspective. This is anywhere. The only time I would say where it's really indicative of something larger than, and given that the average program right now is averaging three transfers this offseason, each of the past couple of years, is something where you saw at Syracuse last year and they had like nine transfers. Or an LSU men's basketball this season, and it's, we know why. It's because of the sanctions. But they had literally every scholarship player go in the portal. Why? Well, because they know they're not going to be able to play in the postseason and the program's going to get hammered from the NCAA. That's and and I'll, and I'll say, hey, that is awesome. Because don't you remember, like, the teams right. in the past who got hit with sanctions and the players were stuck? That was right. always BS. Yeah. Right. So that's my right. point is that those things happen and you go, oh, okay, well, freedom of movement's a bad thing. Well, I don't know. For the guys who get to move on from a place, you, you know, yeah, did what LSU did, they seem 100%. to be in a better spot. So, yeah, because why again, penalize the players for things they had nothing to do with? Like USC football. Right. When the whole thing went down with Bush and those guys. Sure. Yeah. So ultimately, look, it's, it's a different mode. It's a different system. Um, it's a different world, but at the same time, I'm, you know, t- my, my, my message simply is embrace it or get over it because otherwise you're just going to be yelling and screaming about every team in America. <laughs> but the problem is when you're, and I wonder how this is going to erode any type of fandom because when you're a fan, you want to embrace the kids who are coming to Oregon. And follow them and root for them. And, and one, one other thing about fan bases too is every fan base thinks their school or their program is the best. And why would anyone not want to come to their program, let mm-hmm. alone come and then leave? It's such a slap mm-hmm. in the face that you wonder if over time fans start feeling like, well, I can't get excited about these guys coming or these women coming because they could be gone in a year or two, no matter how well they do. So why do I care? If they don't care, why do I care? That's a danger. There is that perspective. 
And that's going to be the battle for college athletics administrators to figure out. But like I say, that's just, you know what? They sold out the arena last night for the women's championship in Minneapolis. Over 18,000 people were there. They're going to sell out a football stadium tonight in New Orleans. I, I, I think at the top level, winning ultimately does just kind of cure a lot of ills. In that regard, if you believe these are ills in the first, if you True. believe these are ills in the first place, right? But not everyone can win, so I just wonder. Like over time, it'll be interesting to see ten years from now. If well, would, would you rather win with a bunch of trans win, win with a bunch of transfers and five stars and what have you, no, no, who are one I, and duns, or be really bad but everyone's no, really loyal? And no, I'm, no, no, I'm that, saying a hypothetical. No, I know what you're saying. saying. No, I agree with you. Yeah, if you're winning, yeah, you're right. If you're winning, it's not going to matter who's in the jerseys, right? If you're, but, but not everyone can win. So if you're a fan and you love your team and they're not necessarily great, but you love so-and-so, but so-and-so is bailing and then someone else comes in and they're bailing. As soon as you get to know them, they're bailing. Then you're just not going to feel as connected to the program. I think over time we shall see, but I, I do think it doesn't. Well, I agree. I, I believe wholeheartedly it's not good for college sports at all, but we'll see how it works out. In terms of what the program will need um, in order to get back to, the four NCAA players? tournament. Five, well, for, oh, one, the four, the, for one, the players <laughs> they're bringing in are, are pretty nice. Um, starting with Chance Gray and, and others, but uh, but yeah, four four top twenty five caliber players is certainly a good place to start. Having said that, they're all going to be freshmen. They're all going to be unproven. They're all gonna, you know lack college experience. Haven't played at this level, etc. And so, two will be gone by next year. So, well, and Aaron will tell you who's going to transfer <laughs> a year from now, two years from now, and three years from now. Um, but no, ultimately, it, to me, it's. It, what they've lacked, what Oregon women's basketball has lacked the past two seasons, two seasons, is they don't have an alpha personality. And that's what Kelly Gray, what I had asked Kelly Gray's after the game, and then what he had said it, and then it became headlines because he's calling out players. And it goes, it, it wasn't exactly that way. And it was not an unprompted thing. It, the question was, as phrased, um, how do you go out and find that alpha? Because they haven't had it. And it's not a matter of comparing everybody to Sabrina. That's a fool's errand. That's that's a total waste of time. To go down that road, you're you're a moron, frankly. <laughs> if you just want to say everybody has to be Sabrina Ionescu, good luck. Yeah, Wait, all four of these freshmen that. aren't Sabrinas? Yeah, I mean, you know, no? stop. The, the, okay. those, those those kinds of players, like that's <laughs> that's absolutely laudably absurd. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of trying yeah. to see can you find the player and the personality. Look at the look at the teams who made the women's final four. Every single one of them was led by no less than one alpha personality. No less than one. Those players, beyond their unbelievable talents, those players are that way because they are simply wired different. Yeah, their talents ultimately make them, that's what makes them truly otherworldly, not just All-Americans, first-team All-Americans, and, and some of the best players in the country. You can be incredibly talented, but if you lack that certain fire, and that, I'm not talking about fire in the, like determination way, it's the obsessive. It's in like in any other context, it would be almost viewed as unhealthy, but in competitive sport, it's viewed as you know such a selling point. Finding that kind of player is extremely difficult. Not every team has it. And the teams that do, yeah, usually end up making it pretty far in the NCAA tournament and, and win national championships. You need to find that person or people. They haven't had that personality in the room the past two years. Forget about mm -hmm. skills. Forget about three-point shooting. Forget about defense. Forget about rebounding. Forget. We can get into any which thing. Ultimately, 
without the person in charge who, in, in terms of in the room in charge. This isn't just coaches thing. They can, Kelly Graves and Dana Allman can't go out there and shoot threes. They can't go out there and defend. They can call all the plays you want. They can yell and scream at practice all you want. For some people, yelling and screaming in the game is apparently the only way a coach can show engagement in the eyes of some fans, which is fine. Why does the coach do anything? He's just sitting right. there. <laughs> right. I, 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 okay. If that, if that's all you think, but ultimately they can't go out there and jack a three. Sooner or later, the players got to be able to hit the shots too. Ultimately, if who is the person in the room who is going to hold their own teammates accountable, hold themselves accountable? And there were numerous instances the past two seasons for Oregon women's basketball where that came up where nobody was. And it had to only come from the coaches. And when that's that way all the time, that's hard. And that's not blaming anybody, by the way. That's just saying, hey, that's either in you or it isn't. And if it isn't, which is fine, it's acceptable, but you have to try and identify and find that and procure that from somewhere else. That's in an intangible sense. In the more tangible sense, they need more sharpshooters. And I don't know enough about the skill sets of the four um, young women who they're bringing in as as freshmen, but ultimately, they need sharpshooters. And I mean real sharpshooters. They need 40-plus percent three-point shooters. Multiple. And I know, yeah, easier said than done. Well, point is, there are a couple of players in the transfer portal from other parts of the country, from Central Florida, from Minnesota, from other programs, who are 40-plus percent three-point shooters, who average in double figures, who are really good. Those are the kinds of players Oregon needs to be, and I'm sure everybody is, pursuing in the transfer portal because, yeah, those are the kinds of players this program needs. By skill, let alone the intangible part, that, that, that you have to try and find another way. You're listening to Ducks Confidential. We'll be back after a quick break. On the men's side, shifting gears to, since again, similar conversation, but one player in the portal, so well, two players in the portal so far, uh, with Eric Williams, technically speaking, keeping his eligibility alive. And we'll see if he ends up going a professional route or, or ends up going elsewhere, uh, to extend his college career for one more year. And, um, and Isaac Johnson also going in the portal as well. They end up making it to the NIT. They win a game at Utah State, lose a game at Texas A&M, which is hardly any, you know, not, not anything to, um, to feel bad about. Rough that it ends the way it does and that it's the NIT and really more so that Will Richardson doesn't get to finish off the season, uh, due to mono. What to make of this season for the Oregon men where expectations were certainly higher internally and externally? I've never seen Altman that pissed at the end of the season. <laughs> he yeah. seemed very, very frustrated with the lack of work ethic, which is not something he's used to dealing with. By the end, I think it, it went from, it probably moved on from anger to just pure frustration and just, yeah, like a, like a shrugging of the shoulders at that point of like, man, you know, here we are. Yeah. This, and one where we were supposed to be. And I'll be damned if we're going to be back here again, but we've gone through this for four or five months now. And you know, at this point, there was no change in it kind of thing. Um, we're just going to make the best of the situation we're in. But now that it's wrapped up, yeah, this is, this, here's, here's how it all, you know, to degrees of went down. And yeah, to your point, I, I think that part of it definitely, definitely frustrated Dana, definitely frustrated members of the coaching staff that they didn't have. Again, we're talking about like that alpha. No, I think Will Richardson had aspects of that. I did. I, I do believe that he has aspects of that uh, I think Devin Harmon has probably more aspects in the personality way and his skill set at times when he flourished and played at his best he showed it all around 
The problem was that the consistency wasn't there. You know, he'd have two or three games at a really, really high level. And then there'd be five or six straight games where you go, where is it? Uh, so the, getting the consistency more from him. Richardson was more consistent. And then, like I say, then his season ends because of Mono, and that's really unfortunate. Having said that, that doesn't explain everything back in, you know, some of the early losses in December or you name it, right? and then the really early portion of the season, November, whatnot. So, again, in terms of now going forward, one, we still have to see exactly what Richardson does. I think most people would be surprised at this point if he chose to return. Having said that, you know, we are where we are, and he hasn't publicly announced anything yet. He can go through the draft waters process and maintain his eligibility, or after four seasons of college basketball, he doesn't owe anybody the additional year. He has the additional year. doesn't owe it to Oregon or anybody else to come back. If he chooses to move on, he could have done it a year ago. But if he chooses to come back, well, that's a pretty big piece to yeah. have coming back if you can get it. Um, if not, yeah, they're adding a absolutely stellar group of players, and we'll see exactly with with Mookie if if there's a reclassification possibility there or not. I don't, I I can't speak into it. I've seen one report, but I can't, you know. He's going to do an Anthony Simons. But ultimately, if they if they bring in the caliber of players that they're bringing in. Whether Will Richardson returns or not, uh, they're going to be, a, on paper, they look like they're going to be a really good team again. Now it's going to be young and other things. Yeah, yeah, it is. We'll see how it comes together. You know that Dana, every offseason, and the staff, every offseason, they do this. They manage to bring in more transfers than anybody. And this was the first time in a minute that it totally didn't work. Right. You know, where, the, where it did end up in the NIT, and it ended up in the NIT in this fashion, in this way. And again, there were a multitude of reasons for it. But ultimately, how do they get back? Well, part of it is, again, bringing in different talent and, and procuring that talent. Well, they've already gotten <laughs> quite quite a lineup um, set to be coming in. And yeah, then it becomes about offseason, not just development or oh, some, you know, spend more time in the gym and the weight room. These guys got to be around each other more. And Dana talked a lot about that towards the end of the season, about all various things last summer of who was in, who was out, who was available, who wasn't, all those things. Plays into it. That said, this who was available to practice together on the second or third week in July or August, win you or lose you a game in March. That's a long way for correlation. There's a long way or cause, forget about causation. That's a long way for correlation. But having said that, this is still college basketball. They are still all young outside of a couple of really experienced players like Richardson or Jacob Young this past season. Many of these guys. Even if you realize, even Will Richardson, when we look back at it, you're going to say, well, that was the most experienced guy. Yeah. And how many games did he play? Like a hundred. A hundred. After four years of college basketball, I realized one season was really messed up and he had a hand injury for another, but a hundred. That's, that's not a lot. A rookie in the NBA is going to go through an 82 game season plus the preseason. If they make the playoffs on their team, they're going to play a hundred games. That's one year. Peyton Pritchard probably played more games for the Boston Celtics last year than a four-year college player plays in their careers. It's just the way it goes. So that's why I said when we talk about like young in college basketball, I always say, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing it to be snarky with you. I'm going to say like, well, they're all young because they're in college. They're all in young because they're in college, not just because of age. What is experience? How do we define experience when someone's really experienced and they played 50 games? Like that's not that much. 
Well, but a college career would probably it's be not under that much. 30, right? So if someone's right, played that's 80 what I'm versus a college career at 80, its max. I know, but if someone's played 80 that, versus yeah. someone who's played 20, that's four times as, more, as much experience. It's all relative. Absolutely. That's why it is. Yeah. That's, that's my point is it is yeah. all relative is that the max, even if you've made it to the national championship game every single year, your career will still be about 150 games. That's at the extreme. That's blow it out. That's probably going right. to 140 games. So that's really, really extreme. That's why you still have to say, like, how much does experience really matter? It matters. Don't get me wrong. But because, like, <laughs> every game is basically 1% of a full career if you're going over four years. If a guy's a one and done, you're talking like one game is 3% of their career. <laughs> it's kind of, right. you know, it just is what it is. You know, it's a, so again, they've got certainly a lot of talent to come in, but areas to address. Assistant coach is still higher here, which I'm sure actually could end up happening uh, this week now that the, uh, national championship and the coaches convention is wrapping up. Frankly, I'm sure Dana's been interviewing people um, the last couple of days. So we'll see how that goes. But now to get into uh, football here for the next uh, 10, 15 minutes, now that we are five spring practices in, albeit, you know, two were really early and, and three since we got back from break. And we've got 10 more practices to go, two scrimmages, and of course the spring game on April 23rd. We've heard from coordinators this past week, heard from quarterbacks this past week. Which is, of course, where everybody uh, wants to focus their attention, as they should, uh, when there's a quarterback competition, a quarterback addition in Bo Nix, and etc. So what we heard from the coordinators was from T Kenny Dillingham, offense is going to be predicated on space and pace. I don't think that's a, a massive revelation for folks who know anything about the hurry up, no huddle offense. But, you know, that's, that is you know, where he's harping on. Defense from uh, Tosh Boy, he's gotten it across very clearly. The talking point there is that they want to be relentless. And from the quarterbacks, uh, that they're really focused on consistency more so than, well, a certain completion percentage or just explosive plays or any one of the – just the level of consistency. Again, all these things, these are the talking points. These are the things that we got from it. Right. The question here, Aaron, it, but we'll probably tackle here for the next 10-plus minutes is, can Oregon take what they have? in terms of personnel and what they want to be philosophically and schematically. Can they meld those things together to have the success that they are aiming for here in Dan Lanning's first year this fall? Well, if the recruiting classes that Mario put together are as great as everyone made them out to be for several years and the talent should be there, right? That shouldn't yeah. necessarily be an issue. Obviously you got to have a quarterback who can, make plays at a high level if you want to have great success. And so we don't know if Bo is capable of being that guy or not. For all we know, he could blow up or Ty Thompson beats him out, which to me is the best case scenario because if Ty Thompson can beat out Bo Nix, then that shows he's grown tremendously in every aspect of playing quarterback and displaying traits that he did not display last year, which is why he couldn't make a dent into, into Brown. So then you have a, a super talented kid who has shown you enough aptitude to beat out a Bo Nix, and now maybe you have someone who can be special, and then that's when you can take a big level. But you have a mediocre defense that you're trying to repair. The the, the thing to me is, is all this talk about what they want to do, what they don't want to do, and the talent, this, talent, that. If it's a smart coaching staff, they're going to tailor what they want to do to fit the talent that they have. You're not going to make the talent that you have to do things you want to do if that talent can't do it, because then you're going to lose ball games. So I think they're smart enough to do that. Do I think there's enough talent on this roster to contend for a national championship? No way in hell do I believe that. Do I think they can win the conference? Possibly, but to me, it's going to all come down to if the quarterback is special enough to elevate this team in games 
where other things aren't going well. And that's what Brown was not capable of doing. He was good when the running game was there. When the running game wasn't there and you relied on him, it was a disaster. You got to have someone who can elevate you in those situations or you're going to lose games along the way. And we all know if you lose two, you're pretty much done in terms of national championship aspirations. So we'll see. I mean, there's no reason to believe they cannot at all elevate to a high level, but they've got a lot of work to do. There's no doubt they have a lot of work to do. That goes without saying. When you're changing quarterbacks, no matter what you're doing, you're changing. Either you're going with a guy who is already here, who is very inexperienced, or you're going to a transfer who knows the system, but is coming from a different place and is acclimating to, to personnel, new line, new system, you know, what have you. Uh, defensively, they have a lot of work to do. They have a ton of work to do defensively. Ton. No, they're losing two All-Americans. Right. <laughs> they're losing one of the most disruptive pass rushers in the country. On a team who, even with him, had its fewest sacks since the stat became tracked. And the nation's leader in interceptions. That's what they're losing. Right. Yep. No. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. Um, where is the pass rush coming from? Where are the takeaways coming from? Now, they're losing four guys in the secondary, including the nation's leader in interceptions. But they're losing, you know, the two starting cornerbacks. Along with it. And one of their other rotational slash starting safeties, depending on how exactly you want to classify uh, Jordan Happel there by the end of the season. He was certainly a starter by the end. Um, so they have a lot to replace on the defensive side. And a lot of room for improvement. And a, a lot, and a lot to replace from a defense that finished 79th. It's not like they're replacing yeah. a bunch of guys from a top 10 yeah. or top 20 or 30 defense from a defense that statistically was not good at all. No. No. And, and to that point, the glass half full Oregon fan out there will say, well, the other guys are better. Justin flow. Well, no, they'll say, <laughs> well, Justin they didn't Flo have flow was, right. was hurt and, and they didn't have flow. And, and if you have flow and you hope the flow comes back and is fully healthy and is hundred percent, he's been limited so far in spring, which is under, you know, somewhat understandable. But point is, is you get that guy back and you hope that that changes. Certainly, certainly not going to be able to judge much by way of the spring with the uh, defensive front because Three of your top defensive tackles right now are limited because of you know offseason surgeries. Okay, so that puts a little bit of a you know a, a slightly different perspective on things. Having said all that, just on coaching and scheme alone, I think the defense will improve. Just on coaching and scheme alone, I don't think that Tim DeRuiter and that staff on the defensive side last season got the most out of the talent that they had. Whether the talent was hurt, whether the talent was limited, whether you know, KT was playing on a sprained ankle, whatever. I don't think they got the most out of what they had last season. I think the change defensively uh, to Lanning and Lupoy and the rest of the defensive staff will help in a big way. I think we're talking about offense and defense. We haven't even gotten to special teams because, I mean, come on, we're not going to go on and on about the kickers right now. Uh, but I think that's an area that's going to see dramatic improvement. You don't bring in Joe Laurie, who's had top 10 units at Penn State year after year after year, which is hard to do on special teams because personnel is constantly changing. You can have the great kicker, but your coverage units are also good. Yeah, he's had top 10 units year after year after year. You don't just get that guy and don't see dramatic improvement. And that's been an area that's been really bad. So those are areas that I think are just going to get better by coaching alone, just by scheme and coaching alone. I do. Offensively, I think there is some of the more questions. But how, but how much game. better? But how much better? That's the thing. Well, how, well, that's right. I mean, better, be yeah. Because I mean, will there be 50th? I, I, I've got questions about where, right. where, where does that, where does that pass rush come from? Right. You can say, well, Braden Swinson's there. Yes, he is. And I think he could be a hell of a player. 
but you need more than one. <laughs> you need more than two. And if right. you're bringing extra guys to bring that pressure, who are your cover guys? Right. Because you got to cover. Right. So there's, man. again, they've, they've begun yeah. to, you know, they think they've had some answers. They think they brought in certain transfers, certainly a Sante Mani or Christian Gonzalez and certain guys who certainly really experienced already in the Pac-12, established in that way. That helps. That's a big start in the right direction. Having said that, in and of itself, yeah, there's still questions to, to ask on the defense. To me, the bigger questions are on offense, though. They are. Um, while statistically the offense had more success last season than the defense, I think the defense, will ha- even with the players that they have to replace, which are really good players in some cases, uh, I-, I think there are probably more questions on the offense, mainly due to depth. I think the offensive line opens up a lot of things for you in the passing game and in the running game. The offensive right. line was successful last season. The whole group's basically back right. for all intents and purposes. George Moore moves on, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, the rest of the group is, is all back. That's huge. That that will give if Bo Nix wins the job, it will give him the best protection he's ever had in his career. I mean, by far, it's not it's it's not even a remote debate to be had. If it's Ty Thompson, it'll give him a lot of protection for a young quarterback. Either way, whoever wins that job between those two, and yes, I'm not just looking past Jay Butterfield, but it's clear right now that those two seem to have a leg up at the moment in that competition. The quarterback's going to have more protection. And really good protection, particularly in the Pac-12. I'm not saying against Georgia in the season opener necessarily. Not proclaiming anything about September 3rd, and, you know, in Georgia. But bottom line, they're going to have a lot of protection in Pac-12 play, and open up a lot of run lanes in Pac-12 play. But you have a young running back core who is largely inexperienced. I'm not going to go into the hows and whys. They are just lacking game experience. You don't have Verdell and Die anymore. We've gone over this. So yes, Cardwell. And McGee is now moving into receiver primarily position and dollars and bringing in a no Winningham. And yeah. yeah. But you it's know how I feel about that room with less. You know experience. how I feel about that though. If but he, you can play, line, you can play a lot. If, yeah. You can play, you can play a lot <coughs> and play immediately at running back and yeah. have an instant impact as a younger player because you just can't. If, if the line you just is can't. There. So I'm saying it's an unknown relative to what you had before, but because of that skill position, you can play and, and a receiver. You can play and make instant impact at the skill positions on offense. That's just the way it is. That's the way the sport goes. Yeah, it's unknown. You can't go out there and claim, well, we're going to have multiple thousand-yard receivers just because these guys were you know, former four- and five-star players. Well, you'd like to think that as a fan, but you don't know it. You don't really know it. You may think it, but you're not 100% sure. So I think there's just some questions there. I think there's mainly questions at the receiver position. I still go back to it. We've talked about it already plenty of times this offseason. Probably going to continue to talk about it for the next four freaking months. They have nine scholarship receivers. That's with moving McGee over to receiver and just calling him receiver, by the way. And, you know, a group of those nine, one, you've got a freshman in Justice Lowe who's just, who just got the campus. One, you've got Josh Delgado who wasn't playing last season. And three is Isaiah Crocker who came on big late, but for – prior years, you know, had not really played much at all. That's three out of your nine. Then you're bringing in a Chase Cota, who is an experienced player, an in-state guy, good guy to have in a room, senior leader, et cetera, from UCLA. But he hadn't been in the system. He hadn't been in this program before last week. So half of your room is guys who are either really lacking experience or just haven't been in the program for more than a week. That's not a criticism. I'm saying that's just reality. So, yeah, you're still banking on Franklin and Thornton to be those guys for you in the future. And I think they can be. Certainly, they were, they were heralded recruits. They were 
top 10 receivers in their class, and, and Isaiah Brevard, for that matter, also you know, not that far off in that class. You're asking a lot of them. I'm not telling you it can't be done. What I'm telling you is, is that if you're going to go out and proclaim that they could both catch for a thousand yards next season, I'm, I'm just saying, can can we get like, can we can we see a spring scrimmage first? Yeah, I mean, you got That's plus you got, plus you have to have, have the quarterback capable of you know yeah. producing those types of of numbers out of your receivers. I, I I'm not. I mean, I everything I agree with everything you're saying. There's a lot of youth there and a lot of question marks there because we haven't seen people prove themselves on a consistent basis. I feel like the talent is there enough at receiver that they can put up big numbers if the quarterback is at a high level of the quarterback's average. And yeah, the receivers are not going to be able to elevate the quarterback. I don't believe because I think they're too young, but I do think there's enough raw talent there that you can scheme well with those guys. You can definitely, you know, blow the top off the defense and open things up underneath. You just have to have a quarterback who can deliver those intermediate routes, those timing routes at a consistent basis beyond 10 yards, which is one thing people Mm -hmm. complained about Brown last year. Um, yeah. So well, they, they the, need to improve core, the deep passing. That goes without question. That right. on both ends, they need to go. They need to improve in the passing side. They need to improve in the catching side on deep pass. No, no exactly. argument. Zero. Running back though, Zero. like Cardwell is going to have it. I mean, behind, if if I'm a coach and I take over a program and you tell me, okay, you can either have a young secondary and you lost some key guys in the draft on defense, or you can have a really young offensive line. You lost some guys in the draft and you got holes there. I'm taking the holes in the secondary all day. Oh, give me the day. season. Every, every give me the season offensive line because the offensive line is going to make everyone on offense better. And then if your if your offense is better, guess what else is better? Your defense is better. If I can run the football and protect my quarterback, that helps my defense. So the fact that the offensive line is back solidified and they were good last year, I'm not going to say great because they still got their asses kicked against Utah twice. So that's a question mark. But they're still really good. All right. Then I'm feeling good about myself starting taking over a program knowing at least I don't have to worry about that. I'm going to be able to run the football. I'm going to be able to protect my quarterback. Now I got to have a quarterback who can make plays. I'm going to score 30 plus points a game. They're going to. The question is, can they get higher than that? And can the defense back it up? Support it is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, the line, the line, the line covers up a lot of things. They covered up a lot of things last year. It could cover up a lot of things this year as well. Last thing I'll say on the receivers is, and I, I believe I mentioned this before, but again, bear saying again, we haven't gotten updated heights and weights, mainly the weights. Obviously, you'll think this yeah. guy's going to change their height too much. We haven't got updated weights yet this offseason. We'll see if we get it any time in the spring. I hope so. I hope so. I hope you're not treating that like state secrets. I really hope so. Um, and I know fans love reading it. I see what the numbers are every year when I write what they are. Um, the receivers. The, the skinnies moniker that the now second year trio goes by i know it's a thing i know it's something that the fans certainly have embraced and and that's great that's that's awesome that can't be looked at as an endearing term at receiver nobody looked at an nfl hall of fame wide receiver and said you know he was a real scrappy skinny guy (laughs) these you don't you don't want you don't want your top receivers to be wiry you're going up against corners and safeties who want to knock your block off. You got to go out. You know, look, it is what it is. They were freshmen. Fine. All right. We'll see what they look like as second year players. But 6'2, 169 ain't exactly how you draw it up. I know it became a thing and it was something that was embraced and what have you. Oh, yeah. Unleash the skinnies, the whole thing. I get it. How about if they're 185, 190? You need some physicality for a lot of different reasons. At There's certain two, things you can do. He's going to get knocked off the ball in the 170s. Right, exactly. There are going to be yeah. bigger corners who are 
30 pounds heavier than you. Yeah. And they're going to jam you up, disrupt your route. So now, now the offensive line protection doesn't matter because the guy's not open anyway. So eventually the protection is going to fall, fall apart. And yeah, right. 100%. So yeah. we'll, again, we'll see once we get further in the offseason and in fall camp and things. It's not just something to assess in April, more so in August, but just mention that because for as much as you want to get excited about the receivers, I still say these guys have lots to improve on. Yeah, there's a lot also, of. So physically, they have to fill that. out their frames a little bit. So it's before, awesome. so. before we go though, what, what's your take mm-hmm. on QB right now? Because a, a lot of people made a big deal out of Ty taking the first team reps that one day. Right, I also and as they sp- should. It's a small sample. It's a small right. sample, and it's a sample that we see. So therefore, it's going to be the sample that makes headlines. And, well, and again, the second part that you don't see is, uh, you know, if, if you didn't read the full story and account, was that the drive ended an interception. So yeah, he took right. first team reps, and then you know he, he completed a deep pass and it ended an interception. Now it's all well, small sample. We saw right. one period where each quarterback got to lead their unit once. Right. We didn't see the rest of that practice. We didn't see if they changed the very next time they went out there. We didn't see the practice before yep. that or the practice after that. Yep. So for all we know, Bonex could be taking 90% of the first team reps. That just happened to be the one we saw. But it is the one that we saw. So therefore, it makes headlines. And frankly, it made more headlines in the Southeast than it made I here. I know. And here's what's funny about it. I, when I saw all that stuff, I was cracking up laughing because that is exactly why Oregon started closing practices. Mark, and even when Mark Helfrich took over and we but were all ho- hoping, just, we were all hoping he would take, he would, uh, reopen practices. He told a story about at Arizona State where one kid took a bunch of first team reps and the other kid didn't. And it got reported that that kid must be the starter. And then the dad of the other kid caught, like it was just this big giant mess. And it, and it was, this is exactly why, and not the only reason, but it's one reason why is because all this different misinformation gets out there because people see this one thing. And then I saw people breaking down the entire like offensive lineup, the defensive lineup, first team and second, like all this speculation over one simple little team period when you're not seeing the vast majority of what's going on. It's, it was just hilarious to me. Well, it's what you see. So you report on what's there. It's, a, I know. You, you can acknowledge that's how that people take a small it. sample. Right. Yeah. That's how people take it. People how much, now, how but you can't control job. people's perceptions. Right. But you can't control the perception. All I can do is put out the, or anybody else who is there, uh, you know, responsibly speaking, can do is put out the information from what you see with your own two eyes. After that, then it becomes, well, I can't change your perception. 100%. If you want to take what happened on day four and say that's the, codify it and chisel it in stone. That's up to you. I don't. <laughs> I take it as on day four in period three of practice. This is what we saw and this is what happened. Right. Period. End of sentence. I'll see what happens on day five and then day six when we're out there. I'll see what happens on day eight and day nine when we're out there. And we'll see what happens in the spring game when we're out there. And right. we'll go from there. But I'm not going to go and know anything. Well, in the fourth practice, let me, let me mark this down. <laughs> Correlation again. Fourth free practice. Here's the starter. And then, you know, come on. So what's your hunch, though, on how things are going? I think it's a, no, I, I think it's a competition between, again, I, yes, Butterfield is certainly taking reps and, and, and he might have the, the strongest arm of the three, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it's going to come down to Nixon Thompson and we'll see how, you know, how things play out. I, to me, I'm, I'm not proselytizing anything here on, you know, five practices in where, where we've seen a limited time. That we have Who had the tighter so spiral? In practice, who did you check out the footwork, yeah. James? Could I, could I get the art? Could I get who's, the RPMs? Yeah. Whose yeah. footwork yeah. was better on boots and waggles? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we've got plenty of time. What are you doing time. down there, James? Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> a, a little, a little early to to go. Like I say, um, I'm not going to play Nostradamus here in the you know early. Who gets April. their fingers on the strings quicker, James? Yeah. Well. 
That's what I want to know. For for those who want the fly off the handle perspectives, I'm sure they can probably find them somewhere, but it ain't going to be for me. I just put out, hey, this is where it was on this day. We'll see where it is the next day. That's that's, because you're a seasoned pro, James. I'm fascinated by it. I think it's going to be awesome to see how it works out. If Ty wins a job, that is huge news for, for the program, I think. If Bo wins it, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it means that Ty did not necessarily rise to the challenge in one spring. There's a lot of football to go left for him, but I want to see him show that he is what he's supposed to, what he was allegedly supposed to be coming out. So we'll see. And guess what? And if Nick's wins the job and ends up being the starter next year, and in the grand scheme of things, I know he has two years of eligibility, but realistically speaking, you know, I think someone in that position, anyone in that position is thinking in terms of one year. It is not the end of the world for the no, first not time at all. to be a full-time starter to be a third-year player. You know, about 10, 15 years ago, for all those who want the guys who spend four and five years in a program because they're program guys, at the quarterback position, that used to mean that you spent two or three years waiting your turn. So if that's the way it goes, I don't think that's the end of the world. It's not the end of the world, but then you're counting on – if you okay, again, if we're talking national playoffs, you're counting on Bo all of a sudden becoming something he hasn't been yet, which is possible – I'm just saying. I don't go talk. I don't go talking playoffs in September. I'm <laughs> definitely not talking playoffs in April. Uh, hey, on last pro- year and week two in hey, Columbus, that's, that's when I was hearing program, about the playoffs, I go like, I am on to just bang my know, head you, against the wall. You and I, you and I are both, right you and I are both saying that. I'm just saying that's what that's what people expect from this program. So, but if we want to temper it down to just can, winning the North, then that's a different conversation. Well, no, no, so. I, I think the temper it down is is compete for and, and win conference championships. And if you do that, you're you're automatically in the consideration and conversation for playoff because you've therefore won a conference and a power okay. conference at that. So that's where it should be. I think he has certainly proven the capability of leading successful teams in successful wins while at Auburn. Was there some inconsistency? Yeah. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was. Obviously, things weren't exactly peachy the whole time. If it was, they wouldn't have changed offensive coordinators and fired head coaches along his, you know. Right. Tenure either. So things, but it wasn't always the offense. It wasn't always the quarterback. It wasn't even always the head coach. Um, to be quite honest, there were a lot of things going on over there. Be that as it all may. We'll see. Again, I'm not going about proclaiming who's going to be the starter or about playoff contention on April 4th. That, that is for sure. That is the one thing on the I next podcast. You're going to have, you're going to have the spin rate of the passes and you're going to have the footwork analysis. I expect that from you, James. Yes. I will, I will break down. <laughs> I will stop watching. Um, much like, uh, you know, 40 watching. times. I will stop watch the, uh, the three and five step drops for everybody and break it down, uh, at, as follows. So appreciate right. everybody as always for listening, uh, to the, so this edition and every edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast, reminder for those who don't yet subscribe, make sure to give us a like, a follow, subscribe, wherever it is that you get your podcast. That way it just automatically pops up on your device accordingly. And we promise it probably won't be a month again before we have another edition. Uh, so <laughs> with that said, uh, I am James Crappy and he is Aaron Fentress and we will see you next time.